Welcome, my friends and seekers, to the Gospels Inc. podcast, where ink meets inspiration and stories of faith come to life. I'm your host, David Green, and while I'm not a preacher, I'm here to guide you on a refreshing journey through the pages of hope and salvation. Each week, we delve into different chapters of the Bible, unpacking the wisdom, uncovering the truths, and exploring the life-changing message within. Together, we will navigate the rich mosaic of God's Word, allowing it to illuminate your past, enrich your spirits, and deepen our understanding of faith and life. Imagine navigating the complexities of life the Bible as your compass, painting each day with strokes of grace, love, and truth. Here at Gospel Inc., that's not just a dream, it's our shared journey. So why wait? Embark on this aligning adventure with us. Let your spirit be stirred and your heart be filled with the warmth of the ultimate truth. Stay tuned and stay blessed as we unfold vibrant hues of the gospel, only here in Gospel Inc. Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of Gospel Inc. I'm your host, David Green, and today we embark on a profound journey into one of the most enigmatic chapters of the Bible, Revelation 17. This chapter, with its intricate tapestries of symbols and prophecies and divine revelations, offers us a glimpse into the great cosmic battle between good versus evil. But as we dive deep into these verses, we're also reminded of the unwavering sovereignty of God, a beacon of hope in these tumultuous times. So whether you're tuning in while sipping your morning coffee or on your evening walk or taking maybe a break from your daily chores, I invite you to join me as we unravel the mysteries of this chapter, drawing lessons and insights that are relevant for your lives today. So let's dive deep into the word together and uncover these mysteries. First, we're going to start in chapter 17 of Revelations, verses 1 through 2. Here is what it says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of those whose sexual immorality, the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Now, this is a loaded um, bit of scripture here. We're seeing many things and what we're ultimately seeing is sin. So first, let's talk about the angel with the bull. As one of the angels carrying the bulls of wrath approaches John, the nature of his message becomes much more profound. This is not just about the immediate consequences of sin, but a deep dive into the systems and structures of evil that have enticed and intoxicated humanity. The first person that we see is the great prostitute. The symbolism runs deep in Revelation, and here the great prostitute uh, symbolizes the allure of worldly desires and systems that draw people away from God. Seated on many waters, she represents a global influence, seducing nations and kings with her temptations. Next, we see the kings and the inhabitants of the earth. The reference to the kings and inhabitants of the earth indicates a widespread societal or political alliance within this corrupt system. Their participation in her sexual immorality suggests a willful indulgence in her deceptions, leading them away from the divine truths. And then we see the intoxicating wine. The nature of this intoxicating wine signifies the blinding effect of her allure. It is not just a matter of mere uh, participation. People are drunk, meaning they are lost, ensnared, and utterly consumed by the seductions of the world that stands against God. So what are my takeaways? First, I would say the allure of worldly desires. Revelations chapter 17 verses 1 through 2 is a poignant reminder that the world is filled with temptations that can easily divert our attention and devotion from God. Just as the kings and inhabitants were swayed by the allure of the great prostitute, we too can be enticed by worldly desires and distractions. 
Next, we see the consequences of compromise. Aligning with systems and influence that stand against God will inevitably lead to spiritual decay and ruin. These verses stress the importance of maintaining spiritual integrity and not compromising our faith. And then finally, the reoccurring theme in Revelations, right? The need for discernment. In a world filled with deceptions and allure, we need spiritual discernment to navigate our paths. The intoxicating wine serves as a warning that without discernment, we can easily be led astray and away from God. In summarizing the message of Revelations chapter 17, verses 1 through 2, it is evident the world is filled with influence and systems that actively work against the divine. As believers, we must be vigilant, ensuring we aren't seduced by these worldly allurements. The revelations of this great prostitute is a very, very stern warning, urging us to maintain our spiritual integrity, be discerning, and remain devoted to God amidst the distractions of the world. Next, we're going to move down to verses 3 through 4. This is the mystery of Babylon and the beast continued. Here's what it says. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman setting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding, her, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. So first what we see is John being carried away in the spirit. The phrasing emphasizes the divine revelation of this nature of this event, of what John is about to witness. The Spirit's intervention really underscores the spiritual significance of the ensuing vision and emphasizes its importance in the grand scheme of God's revelation. Then we, as John arrives, he sees the scarlet beast, the beast with its vibrant color, its blasphemous names, and many heads and horns, represents powerful global anti-God entities. The seven heads and ten horns have been interpreted in various ways, but commonly symbolize completeness in terms of power and authority. Seven heads might represent the seven continents, implying a global reach, while the ten horns could symbolize its pervasive power in various sectors of society, from economics to politics. However, the beast's uh, blasphemous nature is an indicative of the opposition to God and his purpose. Then we see the adorned woman. The woman's luxurious attire and accessories depict her as a symbol of wealth, power, and worldly allure. But despite her outward glamour, she holds a cup full of abominations, revealing her true, corrupt nature. The contrast between her external beauty and the filth in her cup underlines the deceitfulness of sin and the world's empty promises. Then we see the golden cup of abominations. The cup, though made of precious gold, contains abominations and impurities. This paradox serves as a powerful metaphor for the seductive allure of sin. It may appear attractive on the outside, but its contents bring forth spiritual decay and ultimately death. So what are my takeaways? First, we see the deceptive beauty of the world. Just as the woman appears glorious but holds a cup of impurity, the world often presents temptations that look appealing from the outside but are spiritually destructive. We must be wary of superficial allurements that divert us away from God's righteous path. Next, we see the complexity of evil. The interplay between the woman and the beast highlights the multifaceted nature of evil in the world. While the beast signifies raw power and opposition to God, the woman represents the seductive and deception side of evil. And then finally, once again, the need for spiritual discernment. The vision emphasizes the importance of spiritual discernment. Believers must develop the ability to see beyond surface appearances, recognizing the true nature of things in the spiritual realm. 
In summary, right, the message of Revelations chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, we are confronted with the intricate and deceptive nature of evil. The adorned woman and the scarlet beast symbolize the world's allure and the multifaceted challenges believers face. It's a clarion call for vigilance, spiritual discernment, and unwavering dedication to God in a world filled with destruction. Next, we're going to move down to verses 5 through 6. This is the mystery of Babylon and the beast further explored. Here's what it says. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. So what we see is the name of the mystery, right? The prominent placement of the name on the woman's forehead suggests importance and invisibility. The name Babylon the Great recalls ancient Babylon, historically known for adultery, luxury, and opposition to God's people. In Revelations, Babylon symbolized the world system and its rebellion against God, serving as a metaphor for any system or entity that sets itself against the divine order. Then we see the mother of prostitutes and the earth's abominations. The title intensifies the woman's representation of sin and corruption. She is not just involved in sin. She is the pernagnator of sin, the source from which other forms of sin and rebellion flow. This emphasizes the pervasive and influential nature of her wickedness. Then she, you can see her, she's drunk with the blood of the saints. The haunting image portrays the woman as a persecutor of God's faithful. Her intoxication signifies not just participation, but a reveling in the act of persecution. It's a somber reminder of the world's uh, system towards true believers and the cost of discipleship. Then we see John's marveling. John's reaction of marveling greatly indicates the overwhelming and unexpected nature of this vision. It's a testament to the deep contrast between the appearance of the woman's splendor and the very depth of her wickedness. So my takeaways from this verse. First, I would say the depth of worldly rebellion. The woman bearing the name of Babylon encapsulates the gravity and scope of the world's rebellion against God. It's a reminder that we, as believers, are in a spiritual battle against forces that vehemently oppose God's kingdom. Next, we see the cost of faithfulness. The imagery of the woman intoxicated with the blood of martyrs underscores the sacrifice made by many believers throughout history. It's a call to remain steadfast in our faith, even in the face of persecution. Then what we see is the appearance versus reality. John's reaction to the vision emphasizes the importance of discerning the spiritual realities behind physical appearances. The world's allure might seem inviting, but underlying nature is unethical and is opposed to God's righteousness. In summary, right, chapter 17, verses 5 through 6, we confront the depths of the world's rebellion against God and the severity of its persecution against believers. This passage underscores the urgency of maintaining spiritual vigilance, recognizing the reality behind worldly allurements, and being prepared to stand firm in faith amidst opposition. Next, we're going to move down to verses 7 through 8. We're going to delve deeper into the mystery. Here's what it says. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to its destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. 
So we see another riddle here that we have to apply our discernment to, right? So the angel's response, the angel's question to John redirects his attention from the overwhelming imagery to its deeper meaning. It's a prompt, not just for John, but for all readers of Revelations to seek understanding beyond the immediate speculation of vision. Next, we see the mysteries to be revealed. The angels promise to explain the perplexing imagery of the woman and the beast. The assurance emphasizes God's desire for his people to understand the prophetic revelations and be prepared for the spiritual battles they represent. And we see the beast existence. The description of the beast as the one that was and is not and is about to rise is anemic. It suggests a cycle of presence, of absence, and return. The cynical nature might represent reoccurring evil empires or systems throughout history that rise, fall, and then rise again in opposition to God. And we see the dwellers in the book of life. The reaction of the earth dwellers contrasts with John's earlier marveling. Those whose names aren't written in the book of life are amazed by the beast reappearance, indicating their susceptibility to deception and their lack of spiritual discernment. So what are my takeaways? First, seeking spiritual understanding or discernment. The angel's prompt to John serves as a reminder for believers to always seek divine insight when confronted with challenging or perplexing spiritual matters. Surface level reactions are not enough. Understanding the deeper truths is crucial. Then we see the recurrence of evil. The cynical description of the beast reminds believers of the recurring nature of evil in the world. While the forms might change, the underlying rebellion against God remains the same and consistent. Then the importance of spiritual discernment. The contrasting interactions between John and the earth dwellers underscores the significance of spiritual discernment, being anchored in God's truth and having one's name written in the book of life, equips believers to recognize and resist temptation and deception. In summary, does these two verses, right, we are called to move beyond mere astonishment at the manifestations of evil and instead seek a deeper understanding of their significance, the cycle of nature of worldly opposition to God's kingdom and the vital role of spiritual discernment are central themes, reminding believers to remain vigilant and rooted in divine truth. Next, we're going to move down to verses 9 through 11. We're unraveling the significance of the seven heads. So here's what scripture says. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only for a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is the eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. So we see, right, a mind with wisdom. The beginning of the passage stresses the need for spiritual discernment once again. It's a direct call for believers to actively engage their minds, aided by divine wisdom, to grasp the prophetic symbolism. Then we see the seven mountains and kings. The dual interpretation of the seven heads as both mountains and kings is pretty intriguing. Mountains in biblical imagery often represent kingdoms or empires, suggesting a scope of power and dominance. The description of the kings with their chronological status indicates a sequential order of world powers or rulers with some already past, one present, and one still to come. The emphasis here is on the transient nature of worldly power. Then we see the eighth entity, the beast. Described as the eighth, but belonging to the seven, introduces an element of continuity amidst change. It implies that while the beast or the anti-guide system might manifest differently across time, the underlying spirit of rebellion remains consistent. So here are my takeaways. 
First, engage with Scripture. The call for a mind with wisdom is a reminder for believers to actively engage with God's Word, seeking understanding through prayer, study, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It underscores the revelation isn't passive. It requires active participation. Then it is the transient uh, act of worldly powers. The sequence of the kings, especially the one who must remain only for a little while, is a vivid reminder of the fleeting nature of earthly powers and dominions. No matter how grand or enduring an empire might seem, it is only temporary in the light of eternity. Then we see the consistency of rebellion. Faith Entity's connection to the seven highlights the recurring spirit of rebellion against God, emphasizing the need for continuous vigilance against evolving manifestations of opposition. In summary, these verses, believers are encouraged to actively seek understanding in the face of complex prophetic imagery. The passage underscores the transient nature of worldly powers, while also highlighting the persistent spirit of rebellion against God. The dual focus serves as a reminder of the temporary challenges believers face and the enduring vigilance required in their spiritual journey. Next, we go down to verses 12 through 14. We're going to talk about the ten horns and ultimately the lamb's victory. And here's what it says. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. They are united in yielding their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So what we see here. The ten kings, the ten horns introduced earlier in the chapter, now find further definition as ten kings. Their lack of royal power at the time of John's vision suggests future rulers or entities that will emerge. The limited duration of their authority for one hour emphasizes the fleeting nature of their reign, indicating that their dominion, although significant, will be very brief. Then we see them with a lion with the beast. Their choice to yield their power to the beast underlines the cooperative nature of evil in the end of times. The ten kings, despite having individual dominions, unite under the greater banner of the beast, showcasing the consolidation of worldly power against God. Then we see war on the land. Stupid move. This conflict represents the ultimate spiritual battle between good and evil. The lamb, consistently symbol for Jesus throughout Revelations, stands in opposition to the combined forces of the beast and the ten kings. Their war against him signifies the world's ultimate rejection of Christ's lordship. Then we see the Lamb's victory. Despite the seemingly overwhelming odds, the Lamb's victory is assured. His title, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, proclaims his supreme authority and power over all other rulers. His victory isn't solely due to his divine nature, but is also a testament to the faithfulness and commitment of those with him, those who are called and chosen and faithful. So here are my takeaways. The nature of power. The transient reign of the ten kings serves as a potent reminder of the temporary nature of earthly power. It may seem formidable for a while, but it is fleeting in the grand scope of eternity. Then we see unity and opposition to God. The cooperative nature of those in the end of time rulers highlights the link to which evils will go to oppose God. As believers, we should be vigilant and recognize that the forces against God's kingdom can be organized and strategic. But ultimately, the main takeaway, the assurance of divine victory. Despite the formidable alliance against God, the Lamb's triumphant is inevitable. This offers believers hope and encouragement, reaffirming God's sovereignty, even in the face of overwhelming adversity. In summary, there's a stark portrayal of the world's consolidated rebellion against God, yet 
It ends with a triumphant affirmation of Christ's supremacy and the assured victory for those who remain faithful to him. It's a call for perseverance, for faith, and for unwavering trust in the Lord's sovereignty in the Lamb. Next, we're going to talk about the waters, the woman, and the beast betrayal. It's verses 15 through 18. Here's what it says. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are people and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out this purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast. Until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So water as a symbol of people. The angel deciphers the waters where the prostitute sits as a representation of various peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. This emphasizes the prostitute's influence and dominion over a vast array of humanity across geographical cultural boundaries. Then we see the betrayal of the prostitute. In a sudden twist, the ten horns and the beast turn against her. Their intense actions against her, making her desolate, devouring her, and burning her, depict the treacherous nature of evil, even within its own ranks. Alliances are temporary and can easily shift or break. As the age-old adage goes, there is no honor among thieves. It's true here in sin. Then we see the divine sovereignty, the fact that God has put into their hearts to act in such a unified way, even in their rebellion, underscores that God's sovereignty is overarching. Even the enemies of God unwittingly fulfill his divine purpose. Then the identification of the woman. The chapter concludes by identifying the woman as the great city that holds sway over the earth's rulers. This establishment, uh, this establishes her as a powerful system or entity that exercises significant influence on a global scale, perhaps political, economic, or religious. So here are my takeaways. Beware of worldly alliances. The sudden betrayal of the prostitute by the beast and the ten horns underscores the fleeting and often treacherous nature of worldly alliances. It serves as a warning for believers to be cautious about where they place their trust. Then we see God's sovereign hand. The narrative reaffirms God's ultimate control over all events, even those orchestrated by his adversaries. This is a comforting reminder that God's plans and purpose will prevail, regardless of apparent setbacks or opposition. Then the all-encompassing influence. The identification of the waters and the woman reinforce the pervasive nature of certain worldly systems or ideologies that can sway masses, making it essential for believers to remain anchored in the truth of God's word, discernment. We've been talking about it throughout all the revelations. We need discernment in order to fight back against evil with God's word. In summary of these verses, we see a vivid depiction of the vast reach of worldly influence and the unpredictable nature of evil alliances. Amid these revelations, the overarching theme is the unwavering sovereignty of God. Despite the chaos and shifting allegiances, God's purpose remains steadfast and will be fulfilled, emphasizing the importance of trust and faithfulness in Him. And there we have it, dear listeners, a journey through Revelation 17, a chapter teeming with vivid imagery, profound prophecies, and essential truths. As we step back from today's deep dive on Gospel Inc., let's carry forward the key message that amid the unpredictable ebbs and flows of life, the chaos of the world systems and the shifting sands of alliances, God's sovereignty stands unwavering. His purpose is sure, his plans are unshakable, and his love for us remains constant. 
As we navigate our past this week, may we be anchored in his word, fortified in our faith, and always attuned to his guiding hand. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Gospel Inc. Until we meet again, stay rooted in the gospel, and remember, in every ink drop of life's manuscripts, there is a message from the divine. God bless you all. So today, right, as we delve deeply into the chapter of the Bible, let our hearts be turned to the resounding echoes of divine truth and hope that transcends the ages and whispers fervently to our spirits even today. In the swirling torments of time marked by uncertainty and confusion and the shadows of persecution, let us anchor ourselves in the unshakable reality of Christ's sovereignty. He reigns supreme, his authority unyielding, and his love unfailing. Remember, he is the triumphant king who holds the keys to life and death, whose resurrection power pulses in our veins of creation, promising us victory over the grave and a gift of eternal life. As we tread these pages, right, the unfold divisions granted to John on the rugged terrains of the island of Patmos, let us not forget the context of these revelations. Patmos, a place of isolation and exile, mirrors the depths and the despair and abandonment. Yet it is here, amid the barren landscape, that the radiant light of God's presence pierces the veil of darkness, illuminating the path of hope, assurance, and eternal promises. He said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. In the face of towering empires and oppressive rulers, John the Apostle of Love received the unyielding words of Christ, a message of flame with resolute courage and unyielding victory. These words breathed life and resilience into the fledging Christian community, battered by the attempts and persecutions of fear. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. Let this blessing permeate over your very beings, infusing you with strength and fortitude as we navigate the pathways of our lives. May the profound words and visions of revelations fill our spirits of unwavering assurance of Christ's ultimate victory and eternal reign. In the mosaic of divine revelations, may we glimpse the celestial tapestry of God's unending love and faithfulness. Now as we close this reflection, let us carry forth the flame of hope ignited by the pleasant vision of John, allowing its light to guide our steps, dispel our fears, and deepen our unwavering allegiance to our risen Lord. I praise that our hearts may be ever strengthened, our spirits ever emboldened, and our lives ever anchored in the boundless ocean of God's eternal promises. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I say amen. I want to close today with a simple prayer. Please close your eyes and bow your head with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Remember, saying this prayer or any other prayer will not save you by itself. It is the genuine faith and conviction in your heart that God cares about you. The words are simply a way for you to express your faith and commitment to God. True salvation experience comes from truly believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, feeling remorse for your sins, and living a life that shows commitment to the followings and teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to thank you for sharing your time with me today. If you found value in this content, I invite you to click the subscribe button. Over the next few weeks, our journey will further unfold into the chapters of Revelation. Your insights are important to me. If there's anything you disagree with or 
like to share feedback on, please don't hesitate to leave a comment. In future episodes, I plan to review comments on the podcast because engaging discussion often leads to deeper understanding. And perhaps God has granted you insights into his divine promises that could unlighten us all. Wishing you a blessed and joyful day.